Fight Club on Monday and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Be here. Say, what's Fight Club? It's prayer. Spiritual warfare. Well, we're glad you're here today. Are you all awake? If not, Abel will get you woke up. I want to open up with a psalm. I read a psalm every day, and the other day I read this, and this is good. In fact, Apostle Mike's been reading psalms and commenting on them, and he probably will. But this is Psalm 66. And this sometimes this is hard for, for some of us to do, but it says, Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Say that with me. How awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. I like that part. That's coming. I said that's coming. Are you awake? All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There there we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the what? Nations, plural. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net, laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Did you hear that? We're going through it. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. And I I firmly believe this with all my heart. That he gives his people the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. It's not about money, but it's going to take money to get the gospel to the nations. Amen. And so I believe there's going to be a transfer of wealth here real soon. It, amen. It's happening right now. Let's stand to our feet. I want to remind you um, of, about prayer. And then Apostle Mike will also tell about his two brand new books. Amen. Father, today we thank you. Let's lift holy hands to a holy God. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to come into your presence today. And Lord, there's an expectancy in our hearts and in the air this morning. We're expecting you, Holy Spirit, to teach us what we do not see. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word this morning. Father, we thank you where the spirit of the living God is, there's liberty. And we proclaim liberty this morning to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And everybody shout it. Amen. Oh, my soul finds rest. Lift your hands. In the presence of the Lord. In my heart finds strength. In the words you swore. Sing it from your spirit. Oh, my soul finds rest. In the presence of the Lord, 
whether to sit on the sidelines and watch or get involved with the fight. You can be a pushover or you can be a warrior. It's your decision who you're going to be.
and stand in the light. Oh, the bound home belongs to the Lord. So lift high, so lift high the Lord. It's our victory. He's already defeated the night. Come and rise up and stand in the light. Oh, the battle belongs to the Lord. Yes, the battle belongs to the Lord.
Father, this morning we declare that you are the God of revival. And you are reviving your church in this hour. And you are pouring out your spirit upon us. And so, Father, we come in agreement with your word of truth this day. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You are a miracle-working God. You are a God of all mercy and goodness. And, Lord, we count it a privilege to be here this day. We thank you, Father, for the corporate anointing increasing in the days ahead upon Harvest Church that, Lord, we will fulfill our destiny. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy this morning. And all God's people shouted, Amen. And all God's people really meant it, shouted, Amen. You may be seated. Things are changing. Things will never be the same. Did you hear me? Things will never be the same. It's going to get better. I hear these two words being spoken, greater glory. Amen. I want the greater glory. I want to flow on those rivers of living water. What we're going to do right now, we're going to receive Harvest Church's tithes and offerings. So if you need an envelope for your tithe, raise your hand. The ushers will wait upon you. Then at the end of the service, we're going to bless Apostle Mike and Ethel's socks off. Well, she didn't have socks on. He does, though. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He's got his tennies on. We're so tickled to have him here. Amen. Need an envelope. Raise your hand. How many enjoy our worship? He is the God of revival. I like that too. Boy, there's just something in the air. Amen. What? Oh, we need an usher. We got a million dollar check here. <laughs> I I look forward to Apostle Mike because you know what? He makes me laugh. And how many of you know we need to laugh? So I'll tell you, he'd be loaded. He's loaded for bear today. Amen. Praise God. We all finished? Well, let's stand to our feet and welcome Apostle Mike Keys. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, make sure my wires are not crossed. Let's pray before we take our seats. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather together in church services like this one. We thank you, Lord, for your power and for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear everything from your word that we need to glean from Scripture this morning so that we leave the service stronger in spirit than when we came in here today and better equipped to represent you in these tumultuous last days, wherever you send us in your name. 
So we praise and thank you for these things, Father. We give you the glory and the honor in advance, Lord. Everything we do, we do for you and because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody that agrees with that said together, amen. amen. All right, folks, have a seat. Back up and park. Amen. I am very full today, so we're just going to try to try to find, follow, find and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of things to talk about. Let me just do this first, and um, so this won't have to be something I talk about later. Uh, first of all, thank you for your support. Thank you for your continued support for the work we're doing overseas. Uh, like everybody else out there, we have been affected by this fear virus that has uh, plagued the planet for the past six months or so. Uh, we are at the present time unable to travel back to the Philippines because their restrictions there are even more ridiculous than they are here. Uh, so we're waiting and we're just standing in faith. But because of technology, we're able to continue with our Bible classes in the school and we're doing crusade outreach in a different way, a limited way, because you can't have big groups. You can't go door to door because of all the fear. So what we do is we now present the humanitarian angle. So we go to the village chiefs and the village mayors and so forth, and we ask them if it's okay if we come in and give away food and give away medical supplies to all the people that need these things, and so they're very happy about this. So then we just let them know that while we're there, we'll share a little word about Jesus, if that's okay with you, and of course they don't care. And so uh, we use the distribution of the food and the goods as a, as a platform to continue to share the gospel. So while we're passing out the goods, we're preaching Jesus to these people. And uh, legally, only one person from every house is allowed to go out to a public meeting like this. The whole family can't go. One designated family member from every household is allowed out of the house to go to a public meeting like the ones that we're conducting to pass out the food and the goods. So if you're reaching 50 homes, you'll see 50 people. If you're reaching 100 homes, you'll see 100 people max. You can't see anymore because legally they're not prevented. They're prevented from doing it. They're not allowed. So last uh, August, last month, we did two of these, and uh, more than 100 people received Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives and got a bunch of goods and food and things to help them family-wise. And so that's all we can do, but we're doing all we can with the parameters that we presently have to work with. But your support and your generosity enables us to continue doing these things. Amen? So we very much thank you and very much appreciate the things that you're doing. And I brought up to the platform here, to the podium, the two newest books that I've written, number seven and number eight. You have not seen either of these. The number seven, which is the bigger book, You Can Be Who You Already Are, this one was published last November, just after I was here last year, last fall. So you hadn't seen this one. And then this one was just released a week ago. So I've got a big one and a small one, a large one and a small one for you to consider. Um, the body of Christ needs to know who they are more so than now than ever before. We can't be this group of Melba Toast, Milk, milk Sobs, Wyback, Triple-Minded, Cupcake, Cream Puff, Camouflage Christians. We need to be boat rockers and wave makers, shakers and movers for Jesus. I will, but in the course of the message. Uh, and so this book was written for that purpose. Some of the chapters that you might be uh, drawn to, knowing this church the way you are, um, Managing Fear, 
God's congregation, feeding on God's faithfulness. This is a good one for this church, channeling your hatred. You know, hatred is scriptural. You just got to know where to place it. Mm-hmm. God, gets, God hates things. He loves things and he hates things. And if you love, you have to learn to hate because there is evil in the world. And you have to learn how to hate just like God does, just as much as we are told to love like God loves, but you just need to know how to channel it in the right directions. This is the problem. We're channeling it all in the wrong directions. So that's in here, plus a lot of other good things. This one <coughs> is all about the determination needed <coughs> to reach your faith goals, whatever they may be. This is a quick read. You can do this in 15, 20 minutes or a little bit longer if you're a slow reader. But you can also get these books on uh, electronic format, Amazon, Kindle, Nook, iTunes. They're all available too. So um, all of that's available and that's out there. Take a look at those things on your way out the door. Uh, Praise God because they will feed your spirit, I guarantee. They're good. It's a good read that will help you stand in faith for the days in which we live so how many brought their bible or their bible device whichever you're choosing to use this morning we need to recognize the times in which we live okay it's amazing to me how many christians don't understand what's going on they don't understand the day in which we live they don't understand the times in which we are living in and as a result they are basically useless for the kingdom of God in these last days. You need to know some things about what's going on so that you can be what Jesus died to make us and to provide for us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as well as tonight. So we're, if you wanted to title today's message, we can start with this title, Stay on Target. Stay on Target. We are in spiritual warfare. There is, a, there is an intense spiritual battle being raged all over the world today, now more than ever. It's always been here. But now as we approach this presidential election in 2020, November the 3rd is the presidential election in this country, the, the efforts by the enemy to stop what the, de- what the Lord is trying to do is ramping up proportionate to what's going on and, and to what can happen if we do not follow righteousness and if we do not vote according to righteousness. Okay, Um, to amplify this point, let's go to Joshua chapter five in the Old Testament. Joshua is a book of war. It's a good book to read. I encourage you to read Joshua and Judges, those two books. Read them a couple times a year. They are very powerful books, and there are many things in those two books that can apply to the life we live now, to the life we live in the world we are now living in in this day and age. Okay. In Joshua chapter 5, now this is just before Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 is the conquest of Jericho. How many have ever heard of Jericho and the walls falling down? You know, it's a classic biblical story. Okay, well, this is the chapter preceding the conquest and the destruction of Jericho as recorded in the Bible, when the walls fell down flat and they went up and took the city. Okay, this is just before the battle is to commence, chapter 5. So it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse number 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14. So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. 
and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then verse number 15, The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, first of all, it says this is an, you know, it says a man opposite him with sword drawn. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. If you understand the Bible, Jesus made a number of Old Testament appearances. This is one of them. This is not an angel, an angel of the Lord, per se, you know, an angel that were created. This is Jesus. He appears here to Joshua holding a sword in his hand just before they attacked the city of Jericho. And Joshua has this, this question. Are you for us or are you for them? Are you on our side or their side? And listen to the answer. No. In other words, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord. See, this is Jesus. Angels are not commanders of the army of the Lord. That's Jesus. And angels don't tell you to take your sandals off your feet because the place where you stand is holy. Just like when God spoke to Moses and said, take your sandals off, you're standing on holy ground. This is Jesus talking here. Joshua and Jesus are talking. No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. What does this mean? Listen, you and I need to stay on target with the, the, with the battles that we have to fight and the wars we have to win. You cannot allow yourself to be pulled aside by all the secular stuff going on, all the noise out there, okay? We understand that this country is divided into political parties. There are only two of them, okay? And what happens in the secular realm has a distinct effect upon what happens in the spiritual realm. Can anyone say amen? If you don't believe me, just talk to the Christians in California who cannot meet because of the legislation that's being passed against them, and that's spreading. And I've always said for years and years, if Jesus tarries, you know, time will come when Christianity will, dec- will be declared as a crime, punishable by imprisonment or worse, if Jesus tarries. And we're well on our way to seeing that happen, should he tarry. And you can just look around and see the handwriting on the wall. Okay? My point is, we are not Democrats, we are not Republicans, we are Christians. That's the message that Jesus tells Joshua. He says, I'm not for you. I'm not for them. I'm for the kingdom of heaven. I'm for the army of the Lord. And if you're smart, you'll be on my side because if you're on my side, then I'm with you. That's what he's basically saying. If we take our place where we should be, God is on our side. If we stand for righteousness, God is on our side. If we go the other way, he's not on our side. He doesn't care what political party we happen to be associated with. He could care less. We are Christians. We represent a higher kingdom. We need to stay on target and keep focused on what's going on in the unseen world, not the seen world, because we can go places the others cannot go. Are you listening? Yeah, we have authority in the spirit realm where the source of all the problems can be found. If you want to go to the problem source, you go to the source, you go to the root, and it's not out here in the secular realm. It's in the unseen realm. The devil is the one pulling the strings. He's the one controlling these people. And we have authority over him. And that's what Jesus is telling Joshua. Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings 6. And by the way, do not buy into this lie that's being perpetrated that everybody is okay if we just stay home and do church online. If you can, you should go to church because the Bible says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There is a corporate anointing produced in group worship. There is a corporate anointing that cannot be 
experience when you're sitting at home in front of your computer screen watching services online. Now, if you have no choice, then that's different. But in this particular case, this church is open. We should be here. Amen. And if at all possible, we will do civil disobedience to continue to remain open until they throw us in jail. Because, are you listening? We've been told, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's a command from God. Can anyone say amen? And we answer to a higher authority, don't we? Yeah, don't we? We answer to a higher authority, not the ones out there, you know, at the mayor's office, the governor's office, the president's office, or anybody else's office out there in the secular realm. Second Kings chapter number 6. Thank you, Jesus. Second Kings 6, verse number 13. This is a story about um, a Syrian army that goes to arrest and, and get hold of the prophet of God. By surprise, they come to the city at night and surround the city. They're going to they're gonna capture the, the man of God. So it says in the um, 13th verse, this is told to the king. The, the prophet is in the city of Dothan. So verse 14, he sent horses and chariots and a, and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So there's panic here. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, he's, he's not talking about his physical eyes because obviously they're open. He can see the city is surrounded by enemy soldiers. He's, they're cut off. And so he's in panic. What are we going to do? We can't escape. He can see physically. But the prayer is not for his physical eyes to be opened. The prayer is for his spiritual eyes to be opened, to see into the real world, the parent world, the world that was before this one, the world that controls what goes on here in the seen world. The Lord said, uh, the, the prophet said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. The point is, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. In this room right now, there are thousands and possibly tens of thousands of angels in the room right now. The fact we can't see them doesn't make it any different than they are, that they are here. They are here. And wherever we go, they go with us. They that be with us are always more than they that be with them. And if we're on the side of righteousness, they are here to minister for us. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. It's kind of crisscrossed through the Bible this morning. Hebrews 1. Let's talk about the angels, the created beings that are here at our disposal. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14. Let's begin with 13. Sorry, let's back up to the 13th verse. So he's talking about angels in the first chapter of Hebrews, and he says, To which of the angels he has ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then verse 14, this is talking about the angels. Are they not all 
ministering spirits. Now, the word ministering means serving. They're serving spirits. They're here to serve. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for? Everyone say for. They're here to minister for those who will inherit salvation. How many here are born again? You're going to inherit salvation and all the benefits that come with it. The angels are here to minister for us, not minister to us, for us. There's a difference. They are here to serve us. When you declare the word of God, when you take your stand for righteousness, when you decide I've had enough of having lack and all of this stuff, then I'm going to take my stand. They go to work. And the Bible says they hearken to the voice of the word of God. When we speak the word of God, they go to work on our behalf. They are here to bring us things, to provide for us, to protect us, to provide us financially with whatever we need to carry on the work of the Great Commission. Whatever the case may be, these angels are here for us. But in most cases, Christians aren't speaking the word of God. Hebrews chapter 3 says Jesus is the high priest of our confession. That means he repeats what we say to God. And don't you agree with me that when Jesus speaks, God listens? He pays attention to what Jesus has to say, not necessarily what we have to say, unless what we're saying is his word. But if we're just rambling on in ignorance and unbelief, God's not listening. God could care less. But when Jesus repeats what we say because he's the high priest of our confession, he repeats what we say to God. The angels go to work on our behalf. And what we saw from Second Kings 6 becomes reality in our lives. We're surrounded. We're protected. We're provided for. And our our mission is accomplished mission accomplished in the name of jesus someone say amen listen we do what we can god does then what we can't this is how this works partnership god does what we cannot do when we do what we can and i'm going to give you some some examples of this okay if we do what we can he does what we can't but he will not do what we cannot do until we do what we can do Are you following me? It's a partnership, okay? He's not just going to go out here and do things. We have authority on the earth. We were given authority, okay? Right from the beginning. Go back and read Genesis. The Bible says, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion on the planet. We have the dominion here, not God. Somebody say amen. See, this is a big revelation to many Christians. Well, whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. No. Oh, come. Oh, contraire, oh, idiot. You need to study the scriptures. Amen. And there's deafening silence as we make these statements before the Lord. (laughs) All right. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9. I even told the air conditioner to shut up. Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. Deuteronomy 9, 1. Hear, O Israel, this is God talking to the Jews. This is the second time they are at the edge of the promised land. The second time. They were there 40 years before, and they blew it, and they've been wandering now for 40 years. And all the unbelievers have died off over the age of 20, one by one. They've all died in the wilderness, and now they're at the same point 40 years later, and God's talking to them now about how they're going to go in. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations. Now listen, greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fortified. These are walled cities all the way up to heaven, it says. Verse 2, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, 
Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? See, these Anakims were well-known. They are giants, okay? If you want to understand who they were, Goliath, how many know about him? David killed Goliath. Goliath, these are his ancestors. These are his grandparents, his great-grandparents. These are the people he came from, okay? The Bible says Goliath came from Gath, G-A-T-H. This is where these people came from. They're the ones, and, it's, and there's not just one Goliath. There are cities full of them. A people great and tall, descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard said. See, people have talked about these people for generations. Nobody can stand against these people. They're giants. They're, they're immense. They're enormous, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, look at verse number three. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord said. In other words, I'm going to do what you can't do, but you're going to have to do what you can. You're going to have to cross the river and you're going to face them on the field of battle. You're going to have to do that part. As big as they may be, as fortified as their cities may be and all of that, you need to know I've gone ahead of you. And as far as this battle is concerned, it's over. Until When, when you do what you can, I'm going to do what you can't. Can anyone say amen? Amen. Which brings me then to Second Chronicles 7.14. And then I'm going to read to you an excerpt from some of the books that Pastor Mike was kind enough to share with me today. Uh, Second Chronicles... I know you might know where I'm going. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Oh, Lord, may the body of Christ read these verses and understand what's going on. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Here's what it says. God's talking. And what he said back then applies to us today just as much. If my people, notice, if my people. So who's he talking about? His people. Who are his people today? Christians, you and me, born-again people. We are his people. He's talking about us. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, so I could also add confused ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then. Everyone say then. See, this is conditional. We do something Then he does something. This is how it always works. Partnership. We are co-workers with God. We're called co-workers of Christ. Co means alongside. It's not all about Jesus. It's not all about us. It's about us and Jesus working together. Then then I I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Heal their land. Heal their land. See, what we do has an effect upon the land that we're living in, the nations that we are citizens thereof are you listening to me if my people he didn't say if politicians republicans democrats the military good people the boy scouts the girl scouts he said if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves the key to our survival and our future in this country or any other country that is commissioned by god to go win souls which america is as well as others too. Our future is directly responsible and it is in the hands of the body of Christ, nobody else. It is not in the hands of this current president or any other president or any other political party. We are, remember what 
Jesus told Joshua, I'm not here for them and I'm not here for you. I'm here for the interests of the kingdom of God. If you align with my interests, I'm for you. Amen. And we saw what happened to Jericho. Okay. God can do mighty, mighty things, but we have to do our part. Okay. It's, it's national repentance. That's the key here. It's national repentance. It's the body Christ waking up to smell the bacon. These clowns talk about being woke. We need to be woke. We need to wake up and understand what's going on because we are directly responsible for what goes on down here. And I'm going to read to you from, let's see, which one? There's a couple of them here. This book, this is the older version. Pastor Mike gave it to me yesterday because um, I didn't bring mine. This is a book. It's now called The Art of Prayer. They, they changed the title when they redid and up, uh, refreshed the book. This used to be called The Art of Intercession. This is written by Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual grandfather. I sat under his ministry face-to-face in Rhema for a year. This guy is a prophet of God. You know, we could talk about all the things he's done for days. But the point is, he wrote this book, How to Pray. The Art of Prayer is what it's called now. You can get this. If you don't have it, you should get it. You should get it on, you know, Amazon. You can get it as an e-reader. You can get it, you know, from their ministry. You can order this up. Anyway, there is a chapter called Interceding for Your Nation. And I want to read an excerpt from this book to you. And listen carefully. This is a vision Hagen had with Jesus. Jesus appeared to him a number of times, and this is one of those, okay? And uh, let's see. Uh, I'll just, I don't want to read the whole thing, but I, re- I want to read enough of this that we understand what's going on. Because 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, first of all, supplications and prayers be, need to be made for all in authority, for kings and all in authority, that we, we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life. See, the reason we can't lead a quiet and peaceable life now is because so much ungodliness is in positions of authority around here. They're the ones shutting down the churches. They're the ones preventing people from opening up their churches. They come up with all the lame excuses to hope that, that they, they hope makes it sound plausible, but spiritually speaking, it's a ploy of the devil to shut the body of Christ down. Can anyone say amen? Do you understand the devil hates this country? He hates what we stand for because we are the greatest soul-winning nation ever in the history of mankind. And he's all about, Jesus is all about winning souls and the devil is all about stopping the business of winning souls. Period. It's very simple here. If you just boil it down to its purest form. And cut through all the crap, all the, all the fog, all the smoke in the mirrors in front of us. Get rid of all of it. And see the real deal here. Interceding for your nation. After the final service of camp meeting, 1979, some of the speakers and others went up to uh, Kenneth Hagin Jr.'s hotel suite for sandwiches. As we were talking about the things of God, the Spirit of God kept moving on me. I said to others, let's pray. The Spirit of God keeps moving on me. We prayed. By the Spirit, I administered to each one that was present. Then I was caught up in a spirit of prayer and intercession. For lack of a better term, I was lost in the Spirit. I sat with my eyes shut, praying in tongues for what proved to be several hours. It was just after midnight when we started to pray. When it was all over, it was, over, it was after 4 a.m. Yet it seemed as if it had only been 10 or 15 minutes. The Lord spoke to me. Among other things, he said he gave me instructions concerning the prayer and healing school, which we won't go into that. And then I saw something. This is what he saw as he's having this vision with Jesus in the middle of the night. I saw something. I saw three things coming up out of the Atlantic Ocean. They looked like three giant black frogs as large as whales. One was in midair. The other two had just stuck their heads up out of the water from the east. 
I had seen something similar nine years before. Jesus said to me, you saw the same thing in 1970. I told you exactly what they were, but you didn't do what you should have done about it. I told you back in 1970 to pray for the leaders of the nation. What happened, Watergate, how many are old enough to remember Watergate? Some of us are, some of us aren't. I remember Watergate. I remember the resignation of the president at that time, the only time it's ever happened. He resigned from office. First and only time it's ever happened. Jesus is addressing this here. He said, what happened in Watergate and so forth isn't all the fault of the man who was then president. I'm going to hold the Christians of this nation responsible. You are the ones who allowed what happened to your nation. If you had prayed, it never would have happened. I showed you what was about to happen. Jesus said to me, back in 1970, you saw three similar dark objects come up out of the Atlantic and leapfrog all the way across the land. If you and the Christians had done what you should have done, none of those things would have happened to your nation. You would not have had the riots. You would not have had the political disturbances. Your president would not have made the mistakes he made. In fact, I'm holding the church responsible for his mistakes. Listen to that. We're being held responsible for the mistakes a president may make and others in positions of civil authority if we don't pray. I began to weep and cry, oh, my God. And Jesus goes on. Yes, he said, I'm holding you and the church responsible. Then Jesus said this. When you tell that to some of the Christians, they will laugh at you. But when they stand before my judgment seat and they receive the condemnation rather than the man who was then president, they won't be laughing. If Christians had done what I told them to do in the Bible, if they had prayed for the leaders of their nation, they would have kept these evil spirits from operating. Then he continues, similar things, not the same things, but similar things are about to happen. This is 1979. I'm telling you by the Spirit of God, similar things are about to happen in 2020 if this church does not pray. Similar things. Similar things are about to happen again. If you don't pray, they will happen. I am not going to hold the president responsible for the nation. I'm going to hold the Christians responsible. Now, he goes on to say, let me explain, you know, when the Bible talks about oceans, it's, you know, and seas and waters, it's reference to a multitude of people. How many understand that prophetically, when the Bible talks about the ocean and the waves and the sea, we're not talking about the Gulf of Mexico. We're talking about large groups of people, like political parties, cultural groups, language groups, citizens of a nation, large groups of people. Can anyone follow me on that? Okay, so we're not talking about a body of water here. When the Bible talks about frogs coming up out of the water, he's talking about people coming up out of the masses of people to influence the masses of people, like politicians, as an example, or others. Terrorists, that'd be another example, okay? Jesus said, there will arise, unless the Christians pray, not for the same purpose that the other riots came, but there will be riots, tumults, and disturbances all across the nation. Are we seeing any of this today? Hmm. Second, Something is about to happen to the president that should not happen and will not happen if you will pray. Third, something is about to happen again that will bring further trouble in the economic scene, the financial structure. But here's the, here's the emphasis. But you can stop all three. You can stop all three. He didn't say God can stop them. He said you can. You can stop the upheaval in the social structure. You can stop the upheaval 
and the activity of the devil in the political scene, you can stop the devil from disrupting the financial scene of your nation. You can change all three through intercessory prayer. That's one of the main reasons why your classes are going to start in the fall, which was the prayer and healing school, which, by the way, is still in operation there at Raymond. There's other things to say, but you get the point. We are responsible for what happens in November. No one else. Are you listening? Mm -hmm. Go vote. Yes, we do our part. What's our part? Go vote. Get in that voting booth and cast your ballot. What was it? In 2016, something like 20 million Christians didn't vote at all? If I could find them, I'd love to slap the fat right out of their face and repent later. But no, I can't do that. That's not a scriptural response. What can I do? Okay, you know, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 and 31 says, you know, he's looking. God is looking. He says, if I can find one person to stand in the gap and make a wall, I will not pass judgment on the country. I will not pass judgment on the country if I can find one. I got news. There are millions of us out here who are standing in the gap. We are not going to allow the devil to take this country down to hell. Can anyone say amen? We are going to stand in the gap. We're going to do what we need to do to prevent him from doing what he wants to do. Can anyone say amen? amen. All of the riots, all of the tumults, all of the fires, all of the stuff. Listen, there are things that are in play here that you need to understand. And if the devil can do it, he'll take out the president. He'll take out the country any which way he can. All for the business of shutting down the work of winning souls. Can anyone say amen? Winning souls. That's what it's always been about. Let me just say this to you. In heaven and hell, there are no political parties. Duh. No one's wearing Trump buttons in heaven. No one's wearing Barack Obama buttons in heaven. No one's wearing any buttons. You are either saved or you're lost. That's it. There's no racism in heaven. There's no bigotry up there. There's no racism in hell. Satan hates everybody. God loves everybody. Get it through our heads. All this stuff is smoke and mirrors. It's, de it's designed to divide the country. Can anyone say amen? God loves everybody. All lives matter to God because all lives matter to Jesus. If you don't like it, shove it because that's the truth. Amen. amen. About ready to run around the parking lot and have myself a revival. Praise the Lord. See, when we do what we can do, God does what he can do. Look with me. Look with me at 2 Kings. Here's another example of this. 2 Kings. There's great examples of this all through the word of God. 2 Kings 7, verse number 3. I'll just give you context here. The city is surrounded by the enemy, and they are being starved out. Okay? A siege was a common military practice back in the day. When one country came against another, one army came against another city, they, they, they built siege banks around the city and cut it off, and they starved out the city. They just camped outside the city and waited, waited for six months, nine months, a year, and they starved them out. That was called a siege, and it was a common military tactic to conquer nations and conquer cities. Okay, This is what's happening in Second Kings 7. They are under siege. The Syrian army has surrounded the Jews, the people of God, and they're being starved into submission. That's what's happening as we read from chapter 7, verse 3. Listen to this. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, they're four lepers, why are we, they say, I'm sorry, why are we sitting here until we die? 
If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, let's come and surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. In other words, we're going to die sooner or later. We're going to die here. We're going to go die in the city if we go in there because it's in famine and people are starving there. They're eating their own children. Or we can go to the Syrians and let them kill us. One way or the other, we're dead meat. So, verse 5, they arose at twilight. Circle the word twilight or circle it, highlight it, whatever you choose to do. That's the timeline. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Why are they going? To surrender. They're going to they're going to see if they'll, they'll, the Syrians will let them live. Whether they get killed or not, they figure, well, there's no way out anyway, so we're going to just see what we can do. They go. To their surprise, when they came to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there for the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. Who did this? The Lord caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses the noise of a great army, is there horses and chariots in a great army? No. There's four lepers coming to surrender. But to the Syrians, it sounds like there's this huge army coming over the hill. Who caused them to make that? Who caused them to hear that sound? The Lord did this. The Lord did this. Could they do this? No. But who could? The Lord. But when did he do this? Let's find out. The Lord caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots, the noise of the horses, the noise of the great army, etc., etc. And they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at what time? Twilight. Exactly the same time the four lepers got up to do something, God got up to do something. The four lepers got up at twilight to go to the camp to surrender because they said, Listen, sitting here is a death sentence we got to do something let's do something so let's go to the enemy let's approach the enemy let's let's see what happens when we do and when they did what they did god did what they could never do at the same time they got up god got up and caused the enemy to hear the sound of this big army coming over the hill when there was no army at all it was just four lepers coming to surrender but the syrians didn't know that and i'm telling you if we do our part the enemy is going to hear the sound of mighty mighty angels and horses and the army of God coming over the hill, and they will surrender. If you don't think God can do this, listen, the same God that did all this in the Old Testament, which, by the way, we have a better covenant based on better promises. If he's doing this stuff back then, how much more can he do things like this now? I mean, I got examples here. We could be here for another hour and a half just looking at all the stuff. The Bible tells us what can God cannot do? He cannot operate without our cooperation is what he cannot do because he gave us dominion, okay? Judges chapter 7. I'll just reference it. We'll look at Second Chronicles in a minute, but for the sake of time. Judges chapter 7 talks about Gideon. How many remember Gideon and the 300 men? Okay. Gideon and his 300 men went down to the enemy camp and surrounded it. He, they split up into three groups of 100. And their weaponry was not bows and arrows and spears and catapults and all this. Their weapons were pitchers, trumpets, and candles, torches. Okay, they're going to war with torches or candles, pitchers to put the torches in, and 
trumpets, trumpet players. They're going to war with a trumpet. So Gideon says, do what I do. Follow my lead, okay? We're going to surround the camp. You guys break up into groups of 300, um, groups of three, three groups of 100, and split up and surround their camp while they're sleeping. So while they're changing their guard, the Bible says, Gideon breaks the pitcher, throws up the torch, blows the trumpet, and says, the sword of the Lord in Gideon. Everybody else, the 300 soldiers with him, do it all around the camp, and the camp goes into panic. Remember, this is in the middle of the night, and they're waking up from a sound sleep, okay? They think that there's this large army that has surrounded them. They start running and shooting in all directions, and the Bible says the Lord set ambushments amongst them, and they actually killed themselves off. Now, if you go back and read further into the book of Judges, the enemy army at this time numbered 135,000 enemy soldiers. 135,000 enemy soldiers against 300 trumpet players. And the Bible says when they blew the trumpet and, 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 and smashed the pitchers and lit the torches and put it up in the air, the enemy got into such panic they killed each other off. 120,000 people slaughtered themselves in the dark. Because if you keep on reading, the Bible says Gideon chased down the remnant that was left over, which was 15,000 men that got away running in the dark for their lives, thinking there's this great army out there and there's no great army. It's just 300 trumpet players. Okay, God can do miraculous things when we do our part. Someone say amen. Amen. It's no time to be silent anymore. The Lord set ambushments against them. Okay, then second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look at this. These are just examples of what God can do when we do what we can. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's see. Verse number 12. This is another impossible situation. In this particular case, the nation of Israel is surrounded by another invading army. See, the devil just keeps coming back. How many understand, you know, you can clean his clock today, but he's going to come back tomorrow. Until he's thrown into the bottomless pit, he's here. He's got a legal right to be here, so you may drive him off your doorstep today, but he's coming back, honey, just like in the Old Testament. He kept coming back around. Okay, here's another example. He's going to try to wipe out the Jews again. All right, and Joshua goes to national prayer and fasting, calls a national prayer and fasting, which, by the way, there is an event coming up on September 26th called The Return. You should sign up for this. This is a national call to prayer on September 26th called The Return. It's it's, um, uh, sponsored by Jonathan Kahn, a Jewish, a a Messianic Jew out of New York. You can Google it. It's called The Return. And on September 26th, Churches from all over the country are going to spend the day interceding for this country's election and for this country's future. It's called The Return on September 26th, next week, I do believe, or two weeks from now, on a Saturday. Okay. Jehoshaphat is interceding. He says in verse number 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Listen to that. We don't know what to do. We're outnumbered, 10 to 1. We're dead meat. If you don't do something, we're toast, is what he's calling out in front of all the people. Our eyes are upon you. And in verse 13, all of Judah, with their little ones and their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. They know that if God doesn't intercede, they are dead. They are dead meat. They know this, and they're calling out to God. 
Verse 13, then the, 14, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of uh, Zechariah, the son of the son of the son of a bunch of sons here. And then verse number 15, he said, listen, all you Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, pay attention. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. See, you do your part. Tomorrow, you face them. I'm going to do my part, but you do yours. You face them on the battlefield. Go out there tomorrow. I'm going to tell you where they are. Surely, they'll come up from the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And so they did. Jehoshaphat gave them words of encouragement. They bowed their face to the ground. They began to worship the Lord, and um, they stood up to praise the Lord. Okay, so it says in verse 20, they arose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. They went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Jerusalem, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. In front of the soldiers, friends, was the praise and worship team. See, God doesn't need to do it the way we think it needs to be done. He has all kinds of ways to bring the enemy down. In this particular case, by the leading of the Lord, the praise team was put out in front, not the soldiers, not the spearmen, not the bow and arrow guys, the chariots and all that. They were in the reserve. They were in the back. It was the praise and worship people who came out and approached the enemy, numbering a hundred and many, many thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. Praise the Lord. They were singing, for his mercy endures forever. Now, here's the key verse, verse 22. Here's what happens when we do our part. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, everyone say, when they began. See, when they did what they could do, when they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moed, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated for the people of Ammon and Moed stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when they finally came to the battlefield site, they saw the whole battlefield was just blood, guts, teeth, and eyeballs. They all were dead. They had killed each other off, and not one arrow was shot, not one spear was thrown. And I'm telling you about the Spirit of God. You watch God move. He's going to preserve this country in ways we never thought possible. But he's going to do what he needs to do because we're doing our part. We're standing in the gap. We're making the wall just like what the Bible said. If we humble ourselves, if we repent from our sins and our stupidity and our lack of enthusiasm for the Lord, call it what you want, lukewarmness, whatever. Are you listening? You probably drove past a half a dozen churches to get to this one. And I will bet money that in those churches, they don't know anything about what we're talking about here. Nothing. They're cemeteries in disguise with a Christian cross on the top. They are no more people of God than I'm an astronaut heading to the moon. Can anyone say amen? Here's one more from the New Testament. This is another Acts chapter 12. This will be our last example. We've got so much here. We just don't have the time. We'll we may continue with this tonight or go in a different direction. But the point is, okay, 
God can do what God needs to do. He just needs our cooperation and our participation. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. This is New Testament now, okay? All right. Uh, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Would you agree with me that the church is being harassed? Oh, yeah. The church is being harassed. They're trying their best to keep us closed, to keep us down as long as they can. They keep coming up with all these rules and reasons for why you, we, we have to social distance and we can't have groups larger than 10. But, oh, oh, by the way, it's okay to have hundreds of thousands of protesters, you know, arm in arm, cheek to cheek, burning buildings down. Yeah, that's okay. But you church people, no, no, no more than 10. You got to stand 75 feet apart. You can't spit. You can't sing in church. Are you listening? That's what they passed out there. They say, you can't sing in church. It makes me want to get my, you know, Bose player and put it out there right in front of City Hall and sing. But anyway, now about that time, Herod the king <clears throat> stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. So James was killed. Okay, this is persecution. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to seize Peter. So he liked what happened when he killed James, and the Jews are clapping. Hey, good job. So he's going to take Peter and kill him too, but because of the Passover, he can't do it. He has to wait. So he will arrest Peter and put him in jail, intending that after the Passover, he brings him out and kills him like he just killed James because the Jews like it, and he's a politician, and so, you know, he's a chameleon, so he'll change his colors no matter what, depending upon the polls. All right, so when he arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him in verse number four to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, everyone say but, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Who's praying? The church. How much prayer? Is it just a little chair, a little bit of prayer here and there? Constant prayer. Constant prayer, intercessory prayer, in other words, okay? The kinds of prayer that save nations, the kinds of prayers that save people from subtle, uh, sure death and whatever else the devil's got out there that he wants to try and do. When Herod was about to bring him out, verse number 6, at that time, the night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains. Listen to this. Bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Sounds to me like he's pretty securely shut up, okay? He's in a jail cell with two guards in the cell. He's chained, okay? And outside the door are two more guards, and the door's locked and shut. Hmm. Looks like he's, he's, he's dead, dead meat for the, the, the execution scheduled for tomorrow morning. But now, verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. Peter was sleeping so soundly, the angel had to strike him to wake him up. Call me just human, but if it's me that's about to have my head cut off in the morning, I'm not going to be sleeping too peacefully the night before. You know what I'm saying? I don't need any Valium. I don't need any, you know, melanoma or Luca or whatever they call it out there. Okay, melatonin. No, I'd be, you know, I'd be up praying and seeking God. 
making sure my, my heart's right with God before they lop my head off. But here's Peter, so, so sound, he's just sleeping, and the angel has to actually strike him to wake him up and says, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. The chains just fell off. The angel said, Gird yourself. In other words, get dressed, tie on your sandals, put on your shoes. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment, your coat, and follow me. So he went out and followed him. Friends, there's two guards in the cell. In the cell. They're not sleeping. They're guarding. And he's chained, and the chains fall off. And the man gets up, and he's getting dressed. And the guards are in the cell, and they don't see anything, and they don't hear anything, and they walk right through the door. They didn't open the door. They walked right through it. And there's two guards on the other side guarding, and they don't see anything, and they walk right past those guards, right down to the end of the hallway. And if you keep reading, they reach the door that leads out into the city. Uh, Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard post, they walked past a number of guard, guard posts, walked right past them. Which opened, and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them by itself. They didn't touch the door. They just swung open. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. You know, and then Peter, verse 11, comes to himself. He thought he was dreaming. He comes to himself and says, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. <laughs> He's about as quick as we are. <laughs> now I know. The Lord has sent his angel. Yeah, you're two blocks outside the jail, do you think? Now I know for certain that the, angel has sent, the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and all the expectation of the Jews, etc. So verse 12, when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together doing what? What were they doing? Say it loudly. What time of night? What what time of day? This is the middle of the night. Why? Because constant prayer was being offered by the church for Peter's um, deliverance, safety, whatever you want to call it. And God did what God did. Look what God did to get him, you know, to set him free. Friends, the angel that did this is still around. He didn't go back to heaven and retire. All right. He's not doing AARP meetings. I mean, you know, he he he's still around. He can still do. Amen. Whatever needs to be done, praise God. Somebody say amen. amen. So what does Peter do? He goes to the house of Mary in the middle of the night, and they're all gathered together praying. They're not having snacks. You know, this is the 21st century concept of all-night prayer. We bring our Bible and about 17 pounds of food, and we pray for about 15 minutes, and then we all start eating for seven hours, and then we call that all-night prayer. No, they were praying praying for Peter's release. And Peter's knocking at the door. I love this. Peter knocks at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda comes to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate. She ran back and told everyone, Peter's at the gate, and she wouldn't let him in. She didn't open the gate. He's still out there pounding on the gate. She runs back inside and says, Peter's at the gate. Peter's at the gate. And listen to this answer. They said to her, you're beside yourself. In other words, you're nuts. You're crazy. We know where he is. He's in jail. He's going to be executed tomorrow. Come on, Rhoda, get back in here and pray. You're dreaming. And put down the Cheetos. <laughs> you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting. She kept insisting. Listen, I'm telling you, he is at the door. They said, nah, no, nah, it's just his angel. Who would think to answer like that? 
If someone's knocking at your door, you would say, hey, maybe it's uh, your neighbor's angel. Maybe he's at the door knocking. You know, it's Halloween, it's trick-or-treat, you know. Maybe he wants a Snickers bar or something. You know, the angels were coming and going so frequently back then. You know, they, they actually thought it might be his angel. Maybe his angel's knocking at the door, asking for some treats, some coffee, whatever. Rhoda says, listen, I am telling you, he's at the gate. Would you please go check, oh, mental morons? So verse 16, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They didn't even believe the power of their own prayers. Listen, we are in a place right now where we can no longer be just pew sitters on Sunday morning. That We are way past that now. We're way past just Sunday morning Christianity, honey. You better get in the game and pick up your weapons and report for duty on the front lines because if you don't, the devil is going to steamroll this country exactly the way he wants. Can anyone say amen? This is not a time for the timid. This is the time for Christians to stand up and be who we are designed to be and made to be by the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anyone say amen? One of the greatest weapons we have at our disposal, by the way, is prayer in tongues. Amen? If you're not filled with the Spirit, you need to be filled before you leave this building right now. This is something God's been dealing with me about. You know, we give altar calls. We need to give Holy Spirit calls. We need to get people involved and get them filled with the Spirit. And if you are, are you praying in tongues? Are you doing it at all? I try my best. I I don't do it every day because of travel and other things, but I try my best to pray in tongues at least 30 minutes a day, minimum 30 minutes a day. And sometimes when you're traveling, you know, in airports and things, you have to kind of, you know, do it the next day. But I try my best every day to pray at least 30 minutes. The good news about praying in tongues, friends, you detach from your mind and it's spirit to spirit. You the words are being given to you by the Holy Ghost. You're not he's doing the he's doing the giving of the words. You're doing the praying. He doesn't pray, you pray, but he provides you the words, okay? And then you pray directly, spirit to spirit. You're praying directly to God, and the Holy Ghost is giving you the words. How many realize the Holy Ghost doesn't make mistakes? He knows exactly what's going on and what needs to be prayed for because he knows everything we don't. Amen? We know very little. We don't know about all the secret schemes and plans and stuff they're planning in the dark and all this stuff thinking no one will know and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to destroy the country and then you blah, blah, blah and all this stuff and they think no one will know. You know, we'll keep it secret. Well, God knows everything. The Holy Spirit sits there in the meeting listening to it. He's the one that gives us the words to pray. We pray perfect prayers. And the good news is you can pray in tongues when you're doing the dishes. You can pray in tongues when you're cutting the grass. You can pray in tongues when you're at the gun range. You can pray wherever you are. You can pray in, in, in the spirit, driving down the road. Can anyone say amen? That's, that, that's the, the advantage we've got. If you're, if you're filled with the spirit, take advantage of the weapons God's given to you, honey. Amen. It's like trying to defend yourself with a pop gun when God gives you an army tank to work with. Use the weapons we have at our disposal. Pray in the Spirit because the Holy Listen, there'll never be a time when you want to pray in the Spirit and the Holy Ghost says, I'm sorry, I'm out of words. Got nothing to pray about today. Hmm, sorry, come back tomorrow. Maybe I'll have some, some words for you then. No, there's always something to pray about. There's always some crisis somewhere. Can anyone say amen? 
you know, we're praying for our country. Maybe we're praying for our president. Maybe like what, what the Bible talks about here, maybe we're praying to prevent an assassination attempt. Who knows? The Lord, the Lord knows. He knows. It's enough for him to know. We don't need to know everything. He knows everything. Can somebody say amen? I'm going back to what, you know, uh, Jesus told Brother Hagin. He said, if you people don't pray, bad things are going to happen. But if you do, they will not happen. Amen. Let me give you this last blurb here from the second book that Pastor Mike was kind enough to share with me. This one's called I Believe in Visions. This is another one from Kenneth Hagin, another vision he had. And you can get this on Amazon. You can get this from Kenneth Hagin Ministries if you don't have it. If you do, go back and read it. Read chapter 2. We don't read the whole thing because that takes too much time. But he had another vision, okay? And I'll just read an excerpt of it because it's very, very apropos to where we are today. Okay? Pastor Mike told me that uh, he shared a little bit of a a Mario Murillo deal last week with the church about what he sees. Well, listen to this. Okay? This was written, this this, this, uh, vision was in 1950. 1950. 70 years ago. Keep that in mind. Okay? So this is what happened. Uh, He's having a meeting. It was in Rockwall, Texas. We won't get into the details and the particulars of this. But um, about that time, so they were having a prayer meeting, and in the middle of the prayer meeting, Jesus appeared to him, okay? He had no premonition this was going to happen. It just suddenly, you know, this is how visions come. They just come at the will of the Holy Ghost, okay? And, uh, you know, God does not send out a tweet telling you, that he's going to show up in three hours, get ready. Okay, so he says, At about this time the Holy Spirit came upon me. It seemed as if a wind was blowing upon me, and I fell flat on my face on the platform. I lay under the power of God. It seemed that I stood on a plane somewhere and could see for miles and miles all around me, just as one would stand on a great plain, uh, great plains of our nation and gaze off in all directions, many miles, you know, in all directions. You don't see anything. Just, you know, think think uh, Bonneville Salt Flats or something in Utah, you know, just as far as the eye can see, nothing. There were no, I looked in every direction. I couldn't see a sign of life anywhere. There were no trees, no grass, no flowers, no vegetation of any kind. There were no birds or animals. I felt so alone. As I looked to the west, I saw what appeared to be a tiny dot on the horizon. At first, it was the only moving thing that I could see, so I continued to look at it. As I watched it, I saw that it was growing larger and coming towards me. I continued to watch I watch it until it began to take shape and form. Soon I could see that it was a horse. And as it came closer, I could see a man riding upon the horse coming towards me at full speed. I watched him as he approached. He held the reins of the horse's bridle in his right hand, and he held a scroll of paper in his left hand high above his head. Okay? As I said, I was not conscious of earthly of my earthly surroundings, but it, I seemed to be standing high up on a plane somewhere in space. When the horseman came to me, he pulled on the reins of the horse and stopped in front of me. I stood on his right. He passed the scroll from his left hand to his right hand and handed it to me. I unrolled the scroll, which was a roll of paper 12 to 14 inches long. He said, take and read. At the top of the page in big, bold, black print were the words, War and Destruction. I was struck dumb. He laid his right hand on my head and read and said, Read in the name of Jesus Christ. I began to read what was followed on the paper, and as the words instructed me, I looked up and saw what I read about. 
Okay, so there were a few things he talks about that I'll skip for time. He says, I looked at the scroll again and looked up to see what I read about, and I saw the skyline of a large city. Looking closer, I saw its buildings were burned out halls. Are we not seeing burned out halls right now? I saw buildings with burned out halls and portions of the city were in ruins. It was not written that just one city would be destroyed or burned, but many would be in ruins, that there would be many such cities. We're seeing this right now, right now. Remember, this was 70 years ago. The scroll was written in the first person and seemed as if Jesus himself were speaking. I continued to read. Listen to this. America is receiving her last call. Some nations have already received their last call and will never receive another. Then in larger print, it said, the time of the end of all things is at hand. This is 50 years ago, this was said. This statement was repeated four or five times. It went on to say, all the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation in the church in these last days. The church will do greater things than even the early church did. It will have greater power, signs and wonders that were recorded in the book of Acts. We have seen and experienced many healings, but we now are beholding amazing miracles such as have not, have not been seen before. More and more miracles will be performed in the last days which are just ahead. For it is the time for the gift of the working of miracles to be more in prominence. Now we have entered into the area or the arena of the miraculous. Jesus continues speaking. Many of my people, many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit and will turn back and will not be ready to meet me at my coming. By the way, the rapture of the church is an event that will happen so fast, it's called an atomic second. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. Blink your eyes once and we're out of here. There will be no time to repent of anything, honey. You better be ready. It could, it could come at any time, you know. Nighttime, daytime, just blink your eyes once, man, and, and it's gone. We're gone. Many people will not be ready to meet me at my coming. Many will be deceived. Many, he said. These are his people he's talking about. These are Christians. Many will be deceived by false prophets and miracles of satanic origin. Miracles of satanic origin. Do you know Satan can do miracles? How many know that? Satan can do miracles? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. You, you ever heard of UFOs, UFO sightings? Those are miracles of satanic origin. Is not the devil the prince of the power of the air? Where are these things found? In the air. Miracles of satanic origin. That's just one example of many I could give to you. Jesus goes on, but follow me and you will not be deceived. I am gathering my own together and I am preparing them for the time is short. As it was in the days of Noah, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. As I spoke to Noah and said, Yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance I will destroy from off the face of the earth. So today I am speaking and giving America her last warning and call to repentance. And the time that is left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah's time. Warn this generation as Noah did his generation for judgment is about to fall, and these sayings shall be fulfilled shortly, for I am coming soon. This is the last revival. I am preparing my people for my coming. Judgment is coming, and honey, it is coming. But I will call my people away, even unto myself, before the worst shall come. But be thou faithful and watch and pray, for the time of the end of all things is at hand. That was 50 years ago that was given. If it was time 
the end of the times is at hand 50, I'm sorry, 70 years ago. How much closer are we are now? Are we now? Can anyone say amen? I'm telling you, this is not a time to be sitting on a fence somewhere wondering who we are and what we're doing. You better have your act together with Jesus, my friend. And you better understand this country is under siege and we have a God-mandated responsibility to vote for righteousness. Period. Amen? You don't have to hear words about, I vote for a particular person. Just check the political platform they represent. Can anyone say amen? That's all you have to do. You don't have to pick a person. By the way, we're not voting for personalities. We're voting policies. I just don't like the current president. I don't like his tweets. Who cares? Who gives a rip if you like him or not? He's God's man in charge. He's the guy that's in control. Can anyone say amen? He's done more for the Christians in three and a half years than the opposition has done in three and a half decades. Someone say amen. And just the fact, let me just, I might as well just go on out there with it. Listen, just the fact that the other party is celebrating the murder of unborn children, that alone, that alone, if there was no other issue, no other issue to talk about, that one alone is enough right there to say, I ain't never voting for anybody that stands for that. Good luck standing before the judgment seat of Jesus trying to explain a vote where you enabled the people to legislate and pass laws encouraging mothers to slaughter their own children in their womb. Good luck trying to explain that to Jesus Christ when you stand before the judgment seat. Amen. And But there are a bunch of people out there who say that they're Christian and they're going to do the very same thing I'm talking about. Good luck, honey, standing before Jesus to try to explain that decision. Amen. You are an enabler of murder. And all the doctors that did it and all the, the, the clinics that performed it and all the legislators that, that passed the laws that enabled it, you're going to stand judgment for murder. Period. And I don't care if that's politically correct, incorrect, or who likes it or who doesn't. I'm not standing before some judge down here. I'm standing before a judge up there. The only judge, the real judge, the only judge that counts. Because my eternal destiny is in his hands, not anyone else's. Can anyone say amen? It's time for some Christians to man up and grow backbone. Get out there and take a risk for God's sake. Amen? Uh, one of my brothers was just talking about how that he, you know, posted something that I think I think Pastor Kathy posted, and he he was blocked on Facebook. Hey, that's a badge of honor, honey. That's a badge of honor. Wear it proudly, amen. They're trying to censor everything they can that that re, that revolves around the Christian message. Can anyone say amen? Anybody been censored yet? Keep going. You will be if you haven't. But I I believe that as God blinded the Syrian army around the prophet of God. He will blind the censors, blind the brainwashers, blind the politicians, blind them to see what we're doing, and they won't know what's going on. Can anyone say amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We believe your word is sown in good ground. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of war, to understand what's going on in this planet, to understand the times in which we live. And do what we need to do so you, Lord, can do what you can do. We can't do what you can do, Lord, but we can do our part. We stand in the gap. We make the wall. We intercede. We take our place on the front lines. We speak to the enemy. We call down the enemy, etc., etc. And you will do your part, Lord. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute.
if you're not right with God, then you need to, to get right with God right now. Like I said a few minutes ago, the rapture of the church is an event that is soon on the horizon. Okay, some people say it's a long way off. I personally disagree. But whether it is or isn't, you need to be rapture ready because people are one heart attack away, one car crash away, one catastrophe, one flood, one tornado away from forever. Okay, whether or not the rapture takes place now or 25 years from now, it doesn't matter. You need to be ready to go. And if you're playing games with God right now, sweetheart, you're only fooling yourself. Because God knows what's going on, and so does the devil. You can come to church and look good, sound good, and act like you know what you're doing, but you know what's going on in the privacy of your own life. And so does God. You don't fool God, and you don't fool the devil. So if you're drifting, if you're uncommitted, if you're double-minded, if you're weak and are tired of it, and you want to change the direction of your life and get in the game and be the strong frontline soldier that you were ordained to be by the word of god and by the death and resurrection of jesus then you need to make a change and do it now don't walk out these doors without having settled this issue in your heart you are going to be on fire for jesus you don't care who likes it and who doesn't you don't care who's offended and who isn't you are going to represent jesus you are an ambassador for christ that's what you are fearlessly represent him in the name of Jesus, all right? If I'm talking to you, I'm going to count to three. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you have at some point in the past, but you have drifted away and you're no longer on fire for the Lord like you used to be, or you want to be on fire for the Lord and you've never been, you're born again, but that's about where it ends, you know? You want to get in the game and be a player, not just a spectator anymore, okay? A participant, not a frontline critic, you want to be out there doing something meaningful for the Lord for a change? Then when I reach three, put your hand up. All right, no one's looking at you. Everyone's head is bowed, eyes are closed. No one's going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. So don't get nervous on me. But if you know that you're not right with God, make your adjustments now. Don't be a fool and walk out this door thinking you may have future time to do these things because you may not have the time you could be dead before the sun goes down how do you know how do you know okay the earth right now is populated by thousands of people that are going to end up in hell by tonight because death will come to them unexpectedly and they're not ready to meet jesus and listen if you go to hell you go forever there is no hope of ever getting out try to wrap your mind around the concept of eternity never ending for us in heaven can you imagine the joy of being with Jesus forever, forever? But on the flip side of that coin, to be in hell, in flames of fire, in torment and pain forever? Think about it. You can change all that right now with one decision you make. So when I count to three, you put your hand up if you need to change the direction of your life. Okay? One, two, Three, hands up if I'm talking to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Jesus, thank you. Twelve, thank you. Let's all stand, everybody. We've been sitting for a while. I counted twelve hands. Could be more. It's okay. It's not the hand up that does anything spiritually, but it's, it, it's the declaration of intent. It's the expression, I want to change my life as it presently is. Good for you. So what we're going to do, the Bible says, with our heart we believe, 
with our mouth we confess. Heart, mouth. Okay, we believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. So we're all going to say this together. Even if you didn't put your hand up and should have, that's okay. Even if you didn't put your hand up because you didn't need to, that's okay. Let's everybody say this together out loud to support the people who put their hands up. We don't need to know why you put your hand up. That's between you and God. It's none of our business unless you choose to talk to Pastor Mike and, and counsel with him. Okay, but that's between the two of you. I don't need to know. All right, let's all say this together. Friends, we're not talking to me. I'm not talking to you. We're all talking to Jesus. That's who we're talking to. And he's listening. He's not too busy with what's going on in South America to find out what's going on here. He's very interested in your heart and your mouth because he died for you. All right, so let's talk to him and settle and seal the deal this day in Jesus' name, okay? Let's say this together. I'll lead. We all, you follow. We're all talking to the Lord together, all right? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today, and I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that you died on a cross, paid for my sins, and rose from the dead. So today, I make my choice, and for the rest of my life, I choose you. And I make you the Lord of my life. I'm sorry for my sins. But right now, I receive forgiveness. And I will never look back. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Amen. Now, if you said that for the first time, congratulations, welcome into the family of God. If you said it for the first time in a long time, Congratulations and welcome back. Amen. We've got weapons waiting for you on the front lines. Amen. Amen. We've got a place for you right there. There's a foxhole with your name on it in the name of Jesus. Just your size to do what you need to do to do your part. See, where you go tomorrow, I don't go there. Pastor Mike doesn't go there. You're there. Okay? The people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you meet wherever you go, at the supermarket or wherever, they're there. You're there. Okay, the pastor's not there. Jesus is with you. So wherever you go, that's where the war goes. All right, that's where the war goes, where you go. Praise God. So, you know, ask the Lord for opportunities to share your faith. Don't put any pressure on yourself. Just share your testimony. If God delivered you from drugs, if he delivered you from alcohol or pornography or some other addiction, whatever it may be, share your testimony. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. See, nobody can take your testimony from you. It's yours. You know what happened in your life. They can't say, well, that, that's not true. Well, you know it's true because you know the way you were and you know the way you are. Amen. And then they'll, they'll sit up and take notice because they know that you're talking turkey to them. Okay? Amen. Have a seat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I would encourage you to come back tonight. We're going to talk about, unless God changes me, uh, the radical remnant. We're going to talk about the remnant. God does not need everybody. He needs just the remnant of on fire, you know, blood-curling, spitting, bleeding Jesus people uh, to go out there and do something meaningful for him. So I encourage you to come back, and we will pray for the sick and lay hands on people. There's an anointing on my hands. Listen, if the doctor told you to come in tomorrow morning at 1037 because he has information concerning your health, you would cancel your morning appointments. You'd cancel your drive through the donut shop. You'd cancel whatever, and you'd go. You'd be at the doctor's office at 1037 because he's got really important information 
for you about your physical condition. I mean, you know, you'd make time for him, right? Or her. Okay, well, you come tonight, the power of God's present to heal people. Okay, so, you know, change your calendar, change your schedule and prioritize things of God versus the things of the world. The things of the world can always wait. Okay, but the things of God take advantage. Like we said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because in the group setting like this, there is a corporate anointing. People pull on that. Amen. Yeah, if we're all by ourselves, of course we can fellowship with the Lord if that's the way things are. But we have the opportunity to gather together. Thank God that you're in a church and you're in a state where you can do this. There's a lot of people out there in this country that can't do what we're doing right now. They can't. They want to, but they can't. So thank God that you can. Amen. And thank God you don't have to wear a mask either to come in here and worship the Lord. But that's just me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Did this help anybody today? Amen. Yeah. All three of you. Did this help anybody today? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, these are exciting times for people who know who they are and what's going on. I'm not afraid for the future. I'm excited because we're going to watch God. Just like Jesus told Brother Hagin, there will be miracles. The era of the miraculous will be held now more so than ever before. Miracles, signs, and wonders, even more than what we see in the book of Acts. Can anyone say amen? Praise the Lord. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. And once again, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, make that your priority in your life. If you want us to pray with you, we can find time to do that here at the church or if you want to meet with Pastor Mike to do it. But get it done and get filled with the Spirit and start wielding the weapons that God has made available to you. Amen. Words are the most powerful weapons on the planet. Not bombs, guns, rockets. No, no, no. Words are the most powerful weapons on the planet. Amen. Words. And when you speak in tongues, those are perfect words. Even though you don't understand what you're saying, God understands what you're saying. And that's all that counts. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Pastor Mike. Amen. That was wonderful. Are you mocking me or them? Oh, no, just okay. The tepid response. Oh, well. They're getting it. The last few weeks, they're getting better. Amen. We want to bless Apostle Mike and Ethel. Can we do that? How do we do that? We're going to bless them with uh, financial gifts. So be led by the Spirit of God. That's all I ask you. You've been forewarned about these meetings, so you should have been prepared. God gives seed to the sower. Amen. So if you need an envelope for your giving... We'll have an offering this morning and then an offering tonight. Raise your hands. The ushers will wait upon you. Make checks payable to Harvest Church. We give our guests, ministers, every penny, usually more. God bless you if you're visiting. You came a long way just for this church meeting, didn't you? Don't forget, as you go to purchase a book, I'd love to see him sell out. I was very encouraged uh, 
in uh, Wednesday night's prayer, we had people here, and so I continue to make that a priority. We've got to keep praying, folks. Monday night and Wednesday night. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you at 6. You're dismissed. Thank you.